Welcome to the Abundant Edge Podcast. Here we dive deep into the diverse worlds of regenerative living, permaculture, and natural building as we aspire to help you reach your highest potential for yourself, for your community, and for this beautiful planet that we share. As always, I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher, and I'm thrilled to guide you through this week's episode. So let's jump right in. Sarah from New Society Publishers. At New Society, we are committed to ensuring that the health and diversity of the environment is conserved for the benefit of future generations. Find out more about how we put people and planet first at newsociety.com or on any of your favorite social media channels. Join us this May 17th through the 25th in Plata Neo, Costa Rica for a comprehensive intro to bamboo building immersion. In this week-long course, we will cover bamboo design and model making, species and varieties, harvesting, processing, treatment and curing methods, joining and lashing techniques, furniture making, tools, and so much more. All food served as 100% organic and farm fresh. To learn more and register, visit naturalbuildingcr.com. Today we're going to kick off a month-long exploration of various community models that are focused on regenerating environments, communication, and healthy cultures. Now in the next three weeks, I'll be looking closely into regenerative social networks, eco-villages, and co-housing configurations. As the regenerative movement builds momentum around the world, people are rethinking the communities and societies that either promote or disincentivize healthy development. And though I've never found a community structure that is perfect, the interviews this month aim to identify the innovative progress of the communal structures that I mentioned and unpack the successes, challenges, and lessons in the process of creating truly regenerative community structures. My guest today, Magenta Seba, is the Executive Creative Officer of the Bloom Network. Now, Bloom Network is an in-person social network that uses online tools to collaboratively work on regenerating culture and life systems. Local Bloom chapters host skill shares, educational events, and hands-on actions in collaboration with different social movements in their cities. Their online collaboration platform uses augmented intelligence, a wiki, and video calls to help different social good movements share best practices and pool resources so they can be stronger together. They also produce a yearly conference to support regenerative innovation called Pollination. Now in this interview, we explore the three main focuses of Bloom, namely food security, alternative economic models, and conflict resolution. Magenta also explains how branches of this network are formed and supported in their initiatives, and we even go into more personal topics, such as how people of privileged backgrounds can help to promote the voices and perspectives of people who have been disenfranchised by society. This is a very nuanced look at the intricacies of community building and the aspects of regenerative culture, so you might want to grab a notebook as I turn things over now to Magenta. Hey, Magenta, it's so good to be talking with you. How are you doing today? You too, Oliver. I'm doing really well. How are you? I'm doing super. I just took a boat to get over to my friend's house who has better internet connection than we do at the farm. So this should go really well now. That That's wonderful. I am not on boats often enough. <laughs> well, hey, so look, I've got a ton of questions to ask you about the Bloom Network and your role in it. So what do you say we just get started? Great. All right. So start by telling us a little bit about your background and how you came to be involved with the Bloom Network. Sure. Um, I used to be a professional piano player, 
And like a lot of classical musicians, to play other kinds of music, I've had to set my primary instrument down for, it's been about 13 years, I think I'm done now, but average is 10. <laughs> so in that time, um, you know, I've been doing administrative work, and uh, when I moved to San Francisco, I'm originally from Montana, I got involved with a uh, women's leadership training group called Radical Women, and I learned a lot about things like the axes of oppression and why it's important to support queer women of color leadership uh, because they tend to have really clear sight on the ways to move through the um, kind of the, the stacks of oppression that bear down on people in the different ways. And through that work, I started to see the need for tools for healing from trauma and also kind of found my own center in wanting to lead from a place of creating the world that and and illustrating the world that I know is possible and like healthy futures. And um, I was teaching workshops in art through Radical Women, teaching uh, art skills to activists and encouraging um, it, yeah, encouraging artists to get involved in activist projects too. And during that time, I came across this organization called Evolver, uh, which the local chapters of that are now the organization that I am the executive creative officer of called Bloom Network. And because um, I had been working with psychedelic mushrooms a lot, like in this journey, I kind of stumbled into those. And they were so helpful for me for healing, I guess, depression and anxiety and helping me just have really much clearer thought and enjoying my life and connecting with nature. And uh, yeah, I found Evolver because I was like, you know, I should probably look into what people have been doing with these things for thousands of years. I was just kind of tripping on my own. And um, that kind of led me to this global community of people who were basically doing kind of social integration work of their healing experiences, not just through psychedelics, but also through things like yoga and meditation and other transcendental experiences, including just like the political and ecological situation today where a lot of people are kind of looking outside of their social conditioning and directly reconnecting with nature and realizing, you know, we need to shift a lot of the systems and the ways they are. And this group of people was just like so inspiring and talented and skilled. And um, so, yeah, I got involved to kind of help on the, the business development front, essentially, because it was a lot of really visionary projects and then kind of a gap in the, the business skill set because it was a lot of people who weren't necessarily going to go get their MBA, but it was also tangential enough to other networks that have those skill network, those, those skill sets that I kind of came to uh, kind of bridge that gap. And uh, ultimately, the uh, leadership structure of what was then at the time Evolver was pretty hierarchical hierarchical and um, male-led out of New York City. And, you know, it wasn't the, their vision for, a, you know, a peer-led network of local groups that are reskilling each other and sharing best practices and pooling resources and helping more people get involved in making their communities, you know, healthier, more equitable places to be. Um, it really needed a peer-to-peer -peer leadership structure. And so with my background from Radical Women and administrative work, I was able to kind of step in and sort of um, 
kind of tease out what was out of alignment and ultimately you know we had to separate from evolver as a company to be able to host a peer-led network and so that's where we are today with bloom wow that's a really remarkable story it's fascinating to hear how you went through all of those different steps and different pursuits while finding your niche and your your place within this network so along those lines can you tell us what bloom represents today and what it aims to achieve yeah, so Bloom Network is what we are calling a regenerative social network. So we have local chapters all over the world that produce events and media and hands-on actions. Often they're doing skill shares. Sometimes they're doing citywide festivals. And then we collaborate online to share best practices and inspire each other, basically, because the online tools to do that exist today. And so you know, instead of just chatting with each other about the way things are, uh, it's more gear, we've kind of been building a collaboration platform that kind of straddles digital and physical so that we can use the amazing online collaboration and networking tools to actively collaborate toward, you know, helping different social movements collaborate so that we can pull resources together and provide um, kind of a flip the power dynamic where we're moving from extractive ways of doing things to truly like led by community leaders on the ground who are really connected to place, you know, receptively listening to the leaders of multiple movements and uh, utilizing collective wisdom tools so that we can transition the way we are with our ecologies and with our economic structures and for example you know the way we approach housing today sharing tools for um, how to make sure that uh, access to you know <laughs> consistent housing is a thing that's possible and you know developing that that deeply rooted relationship with place and ecology and spirit and all the, all the wonderful things that, that come from that. So it's really kind of like a, a visionary futurist project of you know, creating these, you might say permaculture utopias in a way, but it's kind of permaculture in a social and multi-movement um, collaborative sense. And uh, that's really what we're, we're on about with Bloom Network. And I gotta say, that's what originally drew me to investigate more about this, is how you've been applying permaculture concepts to much more than just ecological care. Now, I know that part of Bloom's mission is to accelerate the spread of regenerative culture. And I'm wondering, what does regenerative culture mean to you? And how have you seen it manifest in the projects that you facilitate? Sure. You know, it's been interesting since we kind of picked the phrase regenerative culture. It seems to be using, be used online largely from an ecology standpoint and more white led than we were kind of hoping the direction it would go. It seems like kind of an evolution of the sustainability movement. Um, so I think what we're, what we would like to do as an organization is help shape the, um, the definition of how that word is used to be um, kind of more interdisciplinary. So right now we're looking, we have kind of seven topic areas that we bring together. We'll probably honestly vote on that every couple of years and, and see if that 
the words we pick for these things, like that frame makes sense. But it basically combines social justice, community health, uh, sustainable or ethical technology, um, creative arts, peer-to-peer -peer economy, and what we call earth stewardship. And so within the projects that you facilitate, how have you seen that start to be an emergent quality of the cooperation that you incentivize? Well, one of the things is when we're hosting local events, the space that we create is almost like a public common space. Like the, the container uh, is very open. So we're not necessarily pushing people into an agenda or strongly asserting one angle in particular on how you know activism or community wellness should be done. And that really open, inviting, and community-led place, because um, the people who come to the events really were really receptive to shaping what happens through the local chapter, what kind of activities people do, what kind of support structures are needed and come into place. And ditto, you know, online, it's a re we're really responsive as we develop our platform, so to speak, um, to community leadership. And so that, that, that openness itself um, helps weave that, those connections between movements. Um, and this is kind of, you know, a structural design nerd kind of perspective, which I, I'm trying to shift out, out, out of uh, speaking that way. But yeah, um, no worries. I, I really uh, am the same as well. So <laughs> by all means, go deep into the vocabulary. Tell me about how you're thinking about these processes. because I, I do a lot of the same. Sure. Um, so we really, you know, we modeled the network on mycelium. When we were part of Evolver, we were called Evolver Spores. And the whole thing was like a mushroom metaphor. <laughs> um, and so we're really like a connective tissue between social movements and, and what people are already doing, more so than you know asserting an organization or kind of umbrella or circumscribing thing on top of that. Um, and so that, that itself just allows, like I said, self-coordination, peer-to-peer learning, um, non-hierarchical leadership uh, and, and I know some people have bad experiences with non-hierarchical organizing but um, we're also not anti-hierarchy like the principle we look at it is you know encouraging people to step forward with their leadership and their experience and their eldership in the various ways that is and respecting each other in that um, and from that kind of natural natural leadership emerges in a really a really healthy way. Um, I'm trying to think of some specific examples of projects where you can see the that cooperative nature emerge. Uh, in Los Mochis, Mexico, uh, there's a local bloom there and they organize as Proyecto Fe and it means Project Faith. And they host a, uh, every year they host a, a, a festival, a, they call it a biocultural festival and it's a collaboration between, I think, 17 different NGOs in the region. And so, um, and it has a, a like multidisciplinary frame. So there's local food movement people there. There are people encouraging people to ride bikes. Um, there's yoga and mindfulness kind of things, um, as well as 
I think some kind of marketing support for local uh, regenerative businesses so that they kind of increase the um, the viability of of doing that kind of like rooted place-based healthy uh, business making. And they also work in relationship with, I think a couple of nearby indigenous groups. So both in terms of uh, having relationships with them. So they are res responding to the eldership of those groups in the way that they organize. And then also doing service work with those groups kind of as requested and in dialogue. Um, they also host a network of eco parks throughout the city that they're building. So there's a space for sports and there's a space for teaching people community gardening uh, or, you know, urban gardening so that the food sovereignty piece is there stronger. And then there's a kind of a workshop and art space as well for, you know, again, peer education. And so, you know, it's an emergent, vibrant, again, open containers for, you know, civic community to come together and create wellness where they are, you know, whatever that looks like to them and in a kind of mutually supportive, collaborative, community-oriented way. That's such a fantastic example of a community sort of taking back its sovereignty and implementing these projects and services and connectivity that really seem to exemplify what the Bloom Network promotes. Now, I know that the three main focuses of the network are identified as food security, alternative economic models, and conflict resolution. So let's take those one at a time, starting with food security. Could you describe some of the ways that your network has come up with to address food sovereignty on their sites? Sure. Um, that Yeah, that's been maybe like the most common thing we do. Um, the local chapter in Long Beach, which at the time when we were part of Evolver, they actually went with, they, they partnered with Shift. They were called Shift Long Beach primarily um, just because of the fiscal relationship of that situation was easier for them. But anyway, what, what they, they were still kind of in contact with and collaborating with the, the network. And um, what they ended up focusing on was called Long Beach Fresh. And that's um, kind of a local food movement building organization that encourages local food producers and eaters, like restaurants and that kind of thing, and um, farmers markets to, uh, you know, they're working on policy development so that their city's policies are most supportive to local food access. And um, they also, again, kind of work on that marketing piece so that people know that local food is a thing that they can do and a thing that they can participate in and a thing that is healthy for people and the surrounding ecology. Um, and the, all the kinds of resilience that having strong local food sovereignty uh, brings. Um, in Baltimore, Maryland, the Bloom there is hosting a yearly festival called Mushroom City Art Festival. And it's all about mushrooms and they teach people foraging and cultivation, uh, as well as some of the, the cultural and artistic things that come through the, you know, the wonderful varied world of mushrooms. So they have, you know, researchers from Johns Hopkins there talking about psilocybin research for anxiety and depression and, you know, all the new stuff that's coming from that, as well as, um, you know, working with, um, bringing in speakers who work on things like using mushrooms to clean up oil pollution because there are some species of mushrooms that can convert the 
I don't know the details of the science. It's like some kind of polycarbon that is involved with oil spills. It like converts that into a starch, basically. So you can cultivate the mycelium to deal with that. Um, so people are, you know, trying to reskill each other. That, that that's a thing that they can do. Um, also, learning about citizen science that you can do with mushrooms. But um, there, the other thing that they're working on there, specific to food security, is they're using mushrooms and other plants to re, it's called to remediate a an, a lot in a neighborhood called Johnston Square in Baltimore and the the soil on the lot has a high concentration of lead so you can't grow food there so they are using plants and mushrooms through microremediation and bioremediation to uh, you know remove the lead from the soil so that it can ultimately be I think their goal is to convert it into a community garden um, I need to double check on that, but that is kind of a, a local food and economic sovereignty thing. Um, Johnson Square is primary a, primarily a black community, and the, the organizers of Mushroom City Arts, I think are mostly white at this point, but um, they are cultivating relationships kind of two-way to do this collaboration in a, in a, in a good way. Um, and so there's all kinds of kind of more things than food sovereignty that are coming through that related to um, you know, decolonization or anti-colonialization. And from what I understand, the race dynamics in Baltimore are pretty tense. And so that kind of relationship building, um, I haven't talked to the organizer super explicitly about this, but uh, I will do that in the future because um, I'm curious to see you know, what, what lessons are coming out of that and what, what beauty is emerging through that kind of relationship building. Um, the last thing I'll mention is, a, a, I think local organizers in Sydney, Australia, helped produce a kind of local and regional food sovereignty conference with indigenous folks and mainstream agricultural producers and policymakers and local urban gardening people. Um, you know, I, I don't think I followed all the details of that, but the goal was to kind of have a multi-stakeholder convening of people who are approaching food sovereignty from different angles and might have differing opinions and this kind of thing to kind of inform each other about, you know, what the different people affected by how, how we produce food um, are, uh, you know, what, what is best for them, what they're learning, requests uh, or demands they may have of each other to transition how they are practicing and this kind of thing. And so they brought in really skilled facilitators to support this dialogue and then support the ongoing action that came out of that convening. So those are a few examples. That's fantastic. Let's talk now about some of the alternative economic models that you've been promoting through the network. Sure. Um, yeah, this has been a big focus for a while, which has been interesting because having that be a big focus has attracted a lot of people who are in transition. Um, so we're trying to find a good, a healthy balance with that now and move out of just kind of exploring the concepts of these into making functional applications. So things we've been exploring are gift economy, alternate currencies, local currencies. I think Baltimore, our Bloom Baltimore people helped create the B-Note, which is a local currency in Baltimore. Um, we're now uh, kind of exploring cryptocurrencies more and blockchain things. There's a company called Aragon that is sponsoring the conference that we're producing in San Francisco this August. 
Um, we're doing a governance hackathon there to kind of piece through both this economic piece, like how do we functionally work as an international cooperative that is led by and supportive to all the participants, like both individuals and businesses and organizations that want to you know, mutually support each other through this network. Um, you know, how do we make that more and more viable and supportive and nurturing for everybody in a really holistic way and including a uh, financial way because we're obviously facing uh, economic collapses, you know, at an increasing frequency. There's an increasing gap between uh, low income and super high income people. And, you know, there, the, the technology solutions that are coming through now, I think are really fascinating and produce some, you know, possibly rapid transition opportunities for people. So, um, you know, I think a while ago, we were trying to encourage people to do a crypto party um, to learn encrypted communications and financial transactions. I think we're going to be doing a, uh, a webinar on this in July on how to use cryptocurrency for the first time to buy things just to help kind of demystify the learning curve. Yeah, just so people can, you know, get familiar with using that because it potentially provides an on-ramp to encrypted uh, use of money, anonymous use of money in places like Venezuela, where you're having, you know, an extreme economic situation. Uh, Bitcoin is one way that people are able to have a little bit more stable currency. Right. Um, and yes, what else? Uh, gift the, I lived on gift economy for like four or five years in the process of just sorting out all the, the mess that Evolver was in. Um, and because that it was like really deep healing work that we needed to do as a community. There was issues with, you know, one of the founders was accused of rape from multiple women, like pressuring people into not, you know, non-consensual slash quasi non-consensual sex. Um, and wow. yeah, power dynamics. And again, this, this like financial piece, because there was no like economic or power or kind of curation access that the local organizers had to influencing like the shape of the brand and so we had been kind of collecting you know emails and building this network and then it was being used by this kind of technically a for-profit company to ultimately they did the pivot shift and started selling projects products through it that were like really out of alignment with their values like the whole thing was a mess and like really sorting through these kind of again these stacks of oppression in leadership and access and consent um and so that it was just so com complicated that the the only way i could really tease through it all was to 100 percent dedicate my time to that and feel into like the literally feel into the planet directly i was working a lot with ayahuasca and mushrooms and really just physically tuning in and feeling where the systems were out of balance, like in our organization, but also on the planet, because we're, you know, we have local organizers located in multiple cities, like 11 different countries or something at the time. And we're all in really deep communication with each other, both on the, both on the internet, but also I think physically um, in kind of this very, I don't know, subtle connected physical sense. And that work, it was just, yeah, the only way I could do it was gift economy. So uh, friends offered me places to stay in their houses. You know, I kind of lived on, I think, under 200 bucks a month doing like odd jobs once in a while. Occasionally I'd run out of food and then have to go, I would volunteer on organic farms for some time and then get like a huge box of vegetables. It was like really amazing 
how it all worked and how people were like recognizing the nature of the work that I was doing. And they couldn't like directly do that themselves because they had kids or a job or career to cultivate. But, um, you know, the, yeah, the community support was there for me to do that. And there are a lot of challenges involved. Uh, I actually want to make a, a video blog about my experiences of living on gift economy, but um, I did do it and it was really interesting and I learned a lot, including like, I don't know, stepping into the fear that people have with their survival being tied to money. And so that's like, that's a, like a personal example, but I think a lot of people in our network are community organizers and uh, it's a really high percentage of women as well. And a lot of that work is currently, you know, unpaid labor. And we're working on finding ways to um, support those people directly. And so that's like the ultimate goal of the network is to, you know, one of the ways we're looking at it is to, I'm actually designing this this summer with a group of people here in San Francisco. We're having kind of like a financial mechanisms mastermind group to look at using these different tools. There's a thing called Swarm Fund for aggregating investment um, across, I think it can be used to aggregate investment across different sectors um, because they all kind of have their own ways of moving money. And so if we can kind of pool those different things and set up decision-making structures so that um, you know, a combination of the local stakeholders that may be involved, uh, different industries that would need to shift and different leaders that we respect from different disciplines to come together and, you know, help make decisions about. So, for example, if there's an investment pool around earth stewardship and maybe like landscape restoration, you know, all the way to the nitty gritty of individual permaculture farms, for example, having a, a way to have a pool of money and then a group of decision makers that are trusted and um, voted upon, which is a whole, for me, like the economics and the governance technology tools are really interwoven in how these kinds of bridges to collective liberation are going to be possible really quickly. Um, but anyway, using um, collective decision making and, and wise collective decision making processes um, are, uh, um, yeah, a way to, I think, decide as communities where to allocate resources with a higher degree of fidelity and wisdom than most of our state systems and many of the individual sector systems are able to wisely uh, distribute money to make the kind of regenerative transitions that we need to make collectively as humanity. Well, those are some fascinating observations. And a lot of what you talked about, especially with your transition away from the previous network, make me think about, especially that last part that we were gonna cover of conflict resolution. And I'm wondering, in those experiences that you've had and with all of these different communities that you've interacted with and helped to foster, what are some of the main takeaways that you've learned in that process of conflict resolution? Oh man, <laughs> so many. <laughs> I'll just let that giggle speak for itself a little bit. <laughs> um, let's see, there's a couple of highlights. One of the most awesome things that we learned about is this thing called dynamic facilitation. Um, one of our advisors, whose name is Tom Atley, wrote a book called Empowering Public Wisdom, where he talks about this. 
it's um almost like a combination of uh, kind of deliberative decision making across groups that have widely differing kind of values and needs in a situation and kind of long running conflicts and mediation. So the facilitator is trained to have each person really deeply listen to each other and understand fully where they're coming from and why they believe the things are that they think are the best thing to happen are are that and then from there they start the dialogue about okay given that what what's the kind of what's the best thing that we can do um and it's community oriented it has like really deep uh analytic tools that they bring to the table in terms of you know understanding the full spectrum of the historical things and individual emotional things and it's just really fantastic. Any dynamic facilitator I've ever met is just amazing. <laughs> so that's a practice that I think is really helpful for community conflict. And I would love to see that more widely adopted and known about. There's a, I mean, there's, there's so many things. We started making um, a code of conduct for Bloom Network called the Vibrant Heart of Bloom. And we're kind of in a skeleton of it, but we're really hoping that the community helps flesh it out and share practices that they have found helpful. Um, so again, like creating it in a, in a collaborative way than, rather than a few people making decisions, but you know, creating an atmosphere where the uh, a spirit of collaboration is strong um, and a, you know, a commitment to constructive action-focused work that eliminates some conflict. So, for example, you know, the, our development of how we're running Bloom Network has partly stemmed from looking at how dialogue happens on places like Facebook and Twitter. We have really shallow, combative dialogues happening and not a lot of room for depth and space and teasing things out. And all my communication is tricky. Um, so really looking at you know, how do we cultivate the spaces for uh, the depth and mutual listening that needs to happen? Um, so for example, we've chosen to, we have a, a monthly community call on online that people can join to uh, peer, learn, and share resources. Um, and we kind of, at the moment, are keeping our collaboration to that like live video space rather than doing a forum or kind of social posting sorts of things so that we have that space to have the depth and um, kind of a circle that has a, you know, a space for a moderator and facilitator who can help, you know, move through conflicts and address them head on as they arise. Um, so that it's in a held space and it's at a frequency that we're able to do as we bootstrap the finances rather than I think having moderators and facilitators in a forum which was initially how evolver used to be a social network and it just it took a lot of work <laughs> it's a lot of time and a lot of work and we don't have that capacity yet so doing it in live video i think helps it be a little bit more um receptive and everyone be sensitive to each other's needs and then we have a lot of as we discover you know tools and resources and educational things as we go along um, we put those up on our wiki on the internet which any bloom members can contribute to 
So for example, there's a resource on decolonization and anti-colonial solidarity there that has educational resources. So for example, when a white person comes into an organizing group that has a lot of different kinds of diversity in it, and they're really early or don't even haven't even started the learning curve of unpacking uh, you know, privilege and white fragility and these kinds of things. It's a, a resource we can direct people to go, you know, hey, we'd, you know, please digest some of this material and then come back once you're a little bit more informed of context here. And that kind of like strong boundary setting, encouraging each other to uh, learn and also to keep a clean space rather than letting things fester are some things that we found helpful toward uh, mitigating conflict and um, you know creating a space where deep relationships that are healthy can form. See, I think that's fascinating, and I really love what you were talking about earlier in this interview about how you've worked with previously disenfranchised communities, those that don't represent sort of the the demographics in this country that have been primarily in power since the colonization of these lands and as myself basically representing every single aspect of the uh, imbalance of power dynamics in this country's history. I mean, I'm a Caucasian male heterosexual who grew up quite privileged and I'm, I'm struggling to find out where our voices can be heard in this without, of course, silencing or ignoring the voices of other people who have so much to contribute and have previously been disenfranchised from these conversations. And you mentioned how we can do better by educating ourselves on the history of these power dynamics, how other types of demographics and identities have been silenced in the past. What else do you recommend in this path on promoting a more diverse perspective on community building and regenerative development? Yeah, I really feel you on that. Thanks for asking for more about that. Um, you know, one of the ways is to su su support and put people of color and other disenfranchised communities in positions of leadership as we uh, convene as a permaculture and regenerative community. Um, similar to how there's a lot of activism being done right now with representation in tech. And for example, there's a, I keep seeing a bunch from this thing called Lambda School, which has a financial model that allows women and people of color to learn how to code. Um, and some, some of the systemic barriers are kind of put to the side so that they can gather the ex experience and education that they need to do that path. and then you know, that is going to change how the platforms and technologies and the company cultures are, are built. So that, that's one piece. And having disenfranchised people in a position of leadership in a group, one helps make other people who are disenfranchised, disenfranchised feel more comfortable because the, yeah, the power dynamic is just more more receptive and the person kind of holding the space is aware of the dynamics. You know, I'm saying this as a white person, but from, from what I understand. Um, and then the other piece is, I think, um, you know, it's something we have to, kind of, we're, we're all figuring out as we go. It's a lot to unpack. 
And the more we can create spaces where we can do healthy collaboration and create healthy decolonized spaces, um, you know, which I think ultimately means giving leadership of land back to indigenous peoples. But the um, the more we can, I, th I mean, I think a good example is how you're describing the, you know, listen to a recent podcast of yours where you all were talking about working with coffee farmers and bringing your goats around. Um, and so that's a, you know, really beautiful example of sharing wisdom that you have and something new that you figured out as a new person with, I don't know where goats are from originally, but the fact that they help make the coffee farms more productive and is, um, you know, contributes to the regenerative wellness of a region. You know, that's a kind of like really practical, probably low drama way to build relationships and share healthy co-leadership. Um, and just stuff like that. There's a couple, couple ideas. Yeah, and I've always found it more effective to lead by example rather than trying to persuade or incentivize other people uh, to do whatever it is you might be pioneering or finding success in, and rather just demonstrate the way that new ideas or even old ideas have created some sort of benefit or you know, desired outcome through their implementation and wait to see who shows interest rather than going around and telling people that this is something that they should adopt or should consider, but rather make it something that is as attractive as possible through demonstration without as much, um, yeah, without being so loud about it in, in however many forms that may come. And uh, what I'm interested in hearing from you is, how have the branches of your the, the Bloom Network formed and what kind of support do these fledgling communities receive from the network? Because I know that there are different ways of incentivizing participation. How have you and the organization helped to sort of demonstrate a model that is worth collaborating with? A few, a few ways, let's see. Um, and I think we've spent the last, at least five years kind of designing the, the ways to do that in the future. And we're just now putting some of those in place. Um, some of the uh, incentivization that is there is the peer support among fellow community organizers. So knowing that you have a regular place once a month to check in with other people who are in these kind of, I'm gonna call them like holistic leadership roles. Um, so you can say like, hey, I'm having this problem in my community. Hasn't, have any of you faced that before or known another community that's gone through this? Can you connect me to some resources or wisdom for how to move through? Um, or even just being able to talk about these things because the it's, sometimes it's really heavy, like the leadership roles we're in and being in relationship with multiple different communities um brings like an interesting array of challenges and confrontation um but also like this almost like unbounded creative potential and capacity and expression and the combination of those things is just so strong and beautiful and encouraging 
And the more that now we're actually designing the financial and governance structures so that we can help people sustain those roles better. And that, that's, that was the kind of missing piece of, I would say, like the first 10 years of our development. And so, we, you know, I guess the last five of that, we've been looking at how to, how to bridge that last gap because we think we can. We needed the kind of the ownership of our platform and brand, so to speak, to be able to do that. But like I said, this summer we're convening a governance hackathon at Pollination. That's a conference in San Francisco. And we'll be looking at exactly, for example, um, as people become members of International Bloom Network, a percentage of their membership will go directly to the local chapter so that the local chapter, whatever leadership they decide is appropriate for their crew, um, is, uh, can then decide themselves what to do with distributing that money. So rather than like a kind of a granting organization or something, it's, you know, it's up to the local chapters and that helps build the, the leadership capacity and autonomy of local groups. And, you know, they may be somewhat centralized with, you know, a boom crew that's making skill shares, or they may be quite decentralized with just like a monthly meeting place, but they are, you know, self-organizing, you know, topic specific or movement specific um, support crews or infrastructures. And so that's another way that we kind of innovate and learn from each other as an international community because that, that flexibility is so open. Um, I think we're about to, I just finally started a local chapter here in Nevada City, California. We call it Bloom Yuba Watershed because we're trying to encourage people to identify with their local bioregions. And um, we, even from the first meeting, it's like the second one, we have to jump into planning because everyone was like, yes, let's go, let's do this. Let's not just like teach each other things, but let's actually form like a healthy economic and other kinds of supportive infrastructure for us to transition. We're um, uh, kind of, there's a lot of cannabis cultivation that has happened here in the last decades. And as more legalization happens, um, people are, you know, the, the economic viability of farming that medicine is shifting. And a lot of people are having to transition. And so we're looking at the you know, the healing wisdom that has come through that plant and the freedom that it has cultivated to learn other kinds of healing practices or explore creative arts and, you know, natural dyeing and weaving and this kind of thing, kind of kind of blossoming the, the fruits that have come from that level of, of exploration. Um, and so looking at how to share that with the world and also support each other in um, offering those gifts farther because we've been developing those a lot in I think a gift, almost a gift economy context because the cannabis culture here has supported um, a lot of you know open circulation of resources and so it's possible that the local chapter here for example might end up collecting a local membership fee that allows people to have a listing in a directory and then maybe 80% of that uh, chapter fee goes to the local chapter and 20% international. Um, sometimes we might flip that ratio, but we really, I think that's how the, the membership is going to function. We're also looking at how that can work with organizations as well. So that we're, Bloom Network is helping support media and outreach and marketing for all these incredible regenerative businesses from multiple different 
viewpoints of that um, and also community structures that may not be businesses but would be supported by a more robust fabric of support and not depending on grant funding or you know completely grassroots organizing but we have I mean, it's a little bit abstract the way I'm talking because we haven't fleshed out exactly how it's designed, but by using a tool like Aragon, where you can create like infinitely customized organization, like decision making and financial relationships using smart contracts, um, and then using cryptocurrency, where international exchange of resources is very fast and efficient, um, really enables this kind of international decentralized uh, financial and governance set up to emerge and we really look at bloom network as not like a circumscribed like organization but it is one of like a decentralized fabric of these kinds of communities and networks that are emerging and we're just sort of like one node or portal into that and so a lot of what i've been looking at is how to i guess in terms of like regenerative business design i think the the way that we start to almost like weave our business models together as an international regenerative community and or you know social permaculture whatever the phrases are that people um, think about these sort of things but uh, more creating that instead of having to rely on the extractive layers or you know even like google or facebook to do marketing it's like we can really directly do this with each other and not lose value to the extractive systems but keep it in the network of people that are you know building and nourishing and regenerating our ecological and um you know person-to-person -person relationships with each other let's switch gears here for just a second i know that each new quarter the network promotes a new theme to inspire action and mobilization so tell me what is the theme of this quarter and how has it been promoted for further action the theme of this quarter i think is collective wisdom we're kind of just getting started with the themes again. I'm actually gonna look on our website to double check. Because we've just been building momentum, the community calls have been just really open. Um, so people showing up, people have a lot of questions about what Bloom Network is um, and, how, and how we're structured and how they can participate. So we're finding that so far, mostly this year, is um, we're having to be like much more open rather than so much being able to stick to the themes. But the, yeah, the theme this quarter is collective wisdom. Um, if you want to read about that, we have some interesting write-ups on our website at bloomnetwork.org. And then if you go to the participate tab, there's a thing that says 2019 community calls, and you'll find the descriptions of the current themes. And I think it's interesting, food for thought, and um, kind of the frames that we've chosen for this year to help people start to connect with each other. Um, the way it used to work with Evolver is we had a monthly theme and every month all the local chapters would host an event about that and that really helped us, you know, sh share resources as a community in a, in a focused way and aggregate best practices and this kind of thing. So we're trying to move our way back toward that. Uh, I think with the brand transition, it was just so not supportive for people to participate. It was like an uphill battle that the local chapters started kind of just doing their own things and rhythms. Um, and so we're kind of, you know, trying to bring the band back together slowly. So we're, we'll see how this works with the quarterly themes. Um, quarterly seems a little bit more sustainable than monthly because producing a monthly event is just a lot of work. Um, yeah, yeah. 
yeah but you know one thing i'd like to see us do eventually is kind of almost publish like a digital magazine about each theme so we're collecting you know the, the best practices from you know again that kind of holistic framework of different social movements that are related to the theme so that people can make those connections um and start to reweave that yeah collaborative fabric of what what healthy society is but collect like you know the most awesome videos and art and organizations and things you can do in your backyard uh kind of industry transformation things that are going on i think that kind of like packaging of information might help to infuse the the ecosystem of you know actors or nodes so to speak that we're connecting through this uh network uh you know help them gain more exposure because a lot of these initiatives are really fledgling or marginalized they kind of like have these little micro niches of people that they're talking to as they've been developing you know the sorts of healing things that uh can help humanity move th through this time but they're uh, again because of kind of the weird extractive system and the way that you know uh, posting to facebook for example incentivizes people that are going to make them a lot of money and we kind of have to like kind of short circuit that system and, and use it as well uh, to make things more viable. So I think that's, that can be an interesting, almost like media permaculture thing. That's kind of the point of themes, if, if we can get them going again. We'll see. Yeah, I love that perspective. Now, before we wrap up today, I would love to hear your personal opinion on what the highest potential for the Bloom Network is and what you're working actively towards realizing. I feel like the highest potential of Bloom Network is to make a thriving and resilient decentralized reality of power dynamics and relationships with nature and ourselves that are healthy and equitable and really culturally just vibrant and and flourishing and i really think that's possible i think it's possible to do quickly um, within 20 to 50 years even though the climate change is bearing down pretty hard uh, i really believe in humanity's capacity and in bloom network's highest capacity to support the the wisdom sharing and collaboration that will allow us to, you know, rapidly transition the the way that we are in small communities and with the the places that we are, um, yeah, really tr transform that into healthy, rejuvenate, rejuvenating, vibrant, like lovely, balanced places to be. I mean, it's like kind of simple in a sense, but. Um, it is, but there's so many complexities within the actualization of that. I definitely respect the amount of thought and the amount of preparation and organization that goes into actualizing what seems like such a, a simple and obvious potential. Yeah, and I think we have the the clarity and will and like heart connectedness. Um, and support of nature even if it's a harsh support right now to to make that transition and we have you know one of the weird byproducts of colonization and industrialization is uh the way that we have communication technologies right now 
and we can and should absolutely use them to transition as quickly as possible. And this can, you know, the highest capacity of Bloom Network is for a, you know, internationally connected community of local, uh, kind of local, he, he almost call them like healer leaders to bring through, <coughs> you utilize visionary creativity and inviting community into an open expression of that to kind of lift the lid off what we're capable and, and, and see what emerges in a, in a way that is connected to nature and ethical values and these kind of things. I'm just really, really excited to see what happens as the fabric of that find itself and, and connects more. Because again, it's like not just Bloom Network, it's tons of other networks that are feeling this and creating this in their own unique ways. And it's, it's a really strong thing that's coming through. And I, the more that people are aware of it and the more it's visible and findable, the faster it's going to gain traction because it's here that the global solidarity for this stuff is just so profound and so massive and the mainstream media and governance might not be like showing that very well, mm. but it's so here and we're all holding each other's hands and like even just the example of your podcast, like I'm listening to it and learning so much and that's a whole huge community that you're in connection with and there are so many of those and I think the spirit of like you described like that healthy demonstration of ways forward uh, to this like nowness of he healthy connectivity with the, with the planet and with spirit and with, and with everything is it's 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 here right now and so it's just opening all those light pathways to connect <laughs> I agree. We're living at such an exciting time as never before have we been able to access such vast communities and connectivity through the internet, through all the technology that we have access to. And I'm determined to find the most productive, the most beautiful, the most equitable way of sharing information and helping to give voice to many people who have been silenced or ignored in the past. And I one of the big aspects of the Bloom Network and your experience in community organization that really inspired me to get in touch. Now, as we wrap up here, can you give us some contact information of how listeners can get in touch with the Bloom Network, perhaps even sign up or start a new chapter, and any other resources that you would like to, to give out to our audience? Sure. Um, our main website is bloomnetwork.org and you'll find our contact info there. You can connect with us via email at community at bloomnetwork.org. We're on social media, um, on Instagram as Bloom Network, and on Facebook and Twitter, because our name is very generic. Our URL is our Bloom Network, O-U-R Bloom Network. Um, let's see, our conference website is bloompollination.com, or you can find that through um, our main website and that will eventually be happening in multiple cities at one time so you know years down the road you'll be able to help create that um, and be part of it forming a local chapter it's really clear on our website it says local blooms or fight the bloom and there you'll find what current chapters are doing and then also a link to kind of what's involved in starting one we try to make it really easy for people like even if you just host like a monthly potluck or something to get going um, rather than producing like an elaborate event or something that can be surprisingly effective. Um, so we try to make that access as open as possible. Um, or if you want to tie your existing initiative to Bloom Network, 
there we're kind of working out ways to do that but really you know please get in touch if you want to connect with this thing in any way um like like i said we're really designing it in a collaborative open receptive way and so people can contribute to the leadership of this thing um so yeah bloomnetwork.org is the main space um any other were you mostly asking where to find us did i miss a question in there no, no, just if you have any other links or resources that you'd like to share with uh, with our listeners. Oh, yeah, definitely check out the wiki on our website. Um, I've kind of populated it with just a, a few articles so you can get the sense of what kinds of things you'll find there. Um, and I'll actually, after this call, I will upload a link to our, I made like this kind of a sketch of our index and i think even just looking at that you'll you'll see the kind of cross-sectional framework um, of how we're kind of bringing visibility and collaborative capacity across these different aspects of social movements that we consider collectively to be regenerative um, that might help make some lights go on for people so that's the the wiki on our website um, we have a podcast as well. It's just called Bloom Podcast, and I host that. So if people want to be a host on that or have ideas of what they'd like to see specifically, you can get in touch on that. Um, and then our community call. So once a month, third Wednesdays every month, we meet online via Zoom. You can call in via different international numbers as well if you have low internet connection. And um, we're, right now, like I said, those are really open. We kind of give an update on what the network it, where the network's at, and then just kind of have open peer sharing. People have been sharing tools and resources and questions and starting to network build. Um, and then gradually we're starting to fill in more kind of educational skill shares and panel discussions through that call as well. So there's a, a stronger education piece happening. But those are the things. Excellent. And I'm just going to add one more thing because I feel like I'd be remiss if you and I were the only two voices talking about how to help to empower new voices and new demographics in these discussions around regenerative culture building. But I did a podcast a little while ago with the incredible author Leah Pennyman, who wrote Farming While Black and is a co-founder of Soul Fire Farm. And she speaks in depth about many of the topics that we talked about and how people of our own demographics as the, the dominant culture since colonialization can actively work to help to promote uh, and empower new voices in these conversations. So I'll send a link to that as well as all of the resources that you just mentioned on the show notes for this episode on the website. So Magenta, thank you so much for taking the time today. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. I look forward to remaining in contact and please by all means let me know if there's anything that I can help to contribute to this network and get the wonderful work that y'all are doing. Sweet. Thank you, Oliver. I'm really excited to be in collaboration with you going forward. Really, really respect what you're doing and how you do it. And yeah, you bring a lot of beautiful flourishing to my heart and to my knowledge of what's happening on this planet right now. <laughs> well, thank you. That means the world to me. All right. You have a wonderful rest of your day. Let's stay in touch and I'll talk to you again real soon. All right. Much love. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. As always, you can find all the show notes for this and all other episodes at AbundantEdge.com by clicking on the podcast tab in the navigation bar. 
On the website, you can also find a whole range of educational articles, as well as the services we offer from design and consulting to education. While you're there, don't forget to take a look at the courses and workshops we offer, which are all designed to empower you to take back control of your life by giving you the skills to produce your own food, manage landscapes regeneratively, build your own homes and structures with natural materials, and most importantly, to dream ever bigger about the highest potential that you could achieve for yourself, your community, and the planet that we share. I'm very grateful to all of you who have added comments and send feedback to me. Your contributions help this to be the conversation and dialogue that it's meant to be. For anyone else interested, you can email me and the whole team directly at info at abundantedge.com. And all of your feedback makes these episodes and interviews so much more engaging and help me to give you the information and content that you want. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you again in next week's session.